Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Couch GM's podcast. I'm your host, George Kurth, and we have a very special episode here for you today. First off, we got the other two blind mice, Tyler Snyder. How's it going? And Cody Roadcap. I can't see you, but you can hear me. <laughs> and welcome in special guest from the First and Ten Club, Mark D. Mark, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back another time here. Yes, you're always welcome here on the Couch GM's podcast. If this is your first time listening, thank you. Make sure you go check out part one of this two-part series. Uh, George, Tyler, and myself are three best friends who love talking football, wanted to make an entertaining show for you guys. So that's what this is. Uh, but let's get right into our special guest, Mark D. from the First and Ten Club. Tell us a little bit about yourself and where they can find your work. Hey, uh, I'm just like you guys. I'm a super fan. I live, eat, and breathe everything NFL. And I try and take a look at the stories, the events that happen in the NFL from a fan's perspective. You can check my work out on YouTube. Uh, look under Mark D for the channel or just search First and Ten Club. And you can always find me on Twitter at First and Ten Club. Just hit search. Or you can look up the handle First and Ten Club spelled C-L-U-1. All right, guys. Uh, you know, thank you, Mark D, for joining us on this podcast. And like everybody said, this is a special edition. Uh, hopefully you heard our part one on the AFC. If you did not, please go check it out. But on this one, you can expect to hear all about the NFC. Uh, we're going to go through every NFC team, talk about if they're contenders, pretenders, or in a rebuild. Um, and then at the end of the podcast, we are also going to go over who our picks are for all of the season leaders. Um, so let's get right into it, guys. And let's go with the NFC North. Now, the NFC North contains uh, fellow Couch GM Cody's favorite team, the Green Bay Packers. So, Cody, why don't you start us off with giving us the rundown on your team? So, like you said, I am a Packers fan. So some of this might be a little biased, but you have to just pick through it and believe what you want. The Packers are very much contenders. Um, if you followed anything along Twitter today, you wouldn't believe that because all the fans think that our season's over because we didn't trade for Will Fuller. But if you watch our team, wide receiver is not our biggest need. We just need to find a way to stop the run game. Hopefully, kind of like the Chiefs were last year, their run defense wasn't great. They got in the playoffs and they were able to lock it down. I'm hopeful that turns out this the same way. I think Aaron Rodgers is playing super high level up there in the MVP category. Uh, we're going to get Jones and Lazard back soon from injury. I think the arrow is definitely pointing up for this Green Bay Packers team. Yeah, just imagine, Cody, if they would have uh, used that first-round draft capital on somebody who could have paid dividends in 2020, whether it had been either a, a key defensive player or another offensive weapon. You know, They're a dangerous team. Think how much further that could be. Yeah, I mean, we'll go back and forth forever on the draft night decision to trade up for Jordan Love. You know, there's the side that if Jordan Love becomes the next Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, we have competitive quarterback for 15 years. It's a great pick, but at the same time, Aaron Rodgers' window is closing. Our team surprised everyone going to 13-3 and three last year. You would have liked to have seen some more investment into this year's future, and we saw that again at the trade deadline not going out to get anyone because they wanted to preserve picks for the future. 
Absolutely. It was definitely an interesting move. It was definitely the shocker of the draft. But let's go on and move on to possibly the Packers' biggest competition right now, and that is the Chicago Bears. Now, they are a very interesting team. The Chicago Bears are 5-2, and two, and I don't understand how. They're not a very good team offensively. Um, they made the horrible decision to go on to Nick Foles. Now, quarterback is definitely the thing to talk about with the Bears, so let's go on and just compare real quick. Nick Foles in six games has a 2-3 and three record. 64% completion percentage, eight touchdowns, seven interceptions, and that is a quarterback rating of 80.2. Now, Mitch Trubisky in his four games had a 3-0 and record, 59% completion percentage, six touchdowns, three interceptions, and that is a quarterback rating of 87.4. So Mitchell Trubisky leads a team to 3-0, and struggles in the first half of a game, and immediately gets benched. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, the Bears' defense is the only reason that they are still good. The Bears' defense is phenomenal. They're one of the best defenses in the NFL. They do have some holes that they've been exposed, but Khalil Mack looks back to playing at a high level. And that is exactly the reason why I'm going to say the Bears are still a contender this year because that defense is so good. Anytime you have a defense that good, you're going to win games. You're going to be in close games. Um, I'm just hoping that the Bears you know, right their wrongs and go back to Mitchell Trubisky. Um, But real quick, guys, before we move on to the next team, I also want to say that if you're playing fantasy, David Montgomery might be the sneakiest trade asset of the season. He's not a super flashy player. He hasn't done enough to warrant, you know, a big trade value. But his schedule in the fantasy playoffs is so easy. Honestly, the second half of the season is all teams who are not good against the run. Um, If you have a chance to trade for David Montgomery, he might be the guy who wins your fantasy championship. Go ahead and get him now while his value is still relatively low. Oh, I totally agree about David Montgomery. And the thing is, he's not even going to hurt your value until the fantasy playoffs. It's not like he's someone you grab and stash, and then you start playing when he has good matchups. He's probably the most consistent running back in the NFL right now. He's not getting flashy points like Tyler said, but he's averaging between 13 and 10 every single week. He's going to get you that for a lock. And sometimes you just need that to round out a lineup. Yeah. And another player that's really not getting talked about enough on the Chicago bears is Darnell Mooney, uh, the rookie wide receiver. You know, we hear so much about the rookie wide receivers that are just balling out this year with Justin Jefferson, Chase Claypool, among plenty of others. But Darnell Mooney doesn't really get any of the credit, and he has looked really good this year. He is their deep ball threat. Um, His value has dropped off since Nick Foles came in because he just doesn't have the accuracy deep. But I think that Darnell Mooney might end up being a fantasy asset in future years to come especially if they keep having receivers get suspended due to punching people there. (laughs) And I think the reason you're not hearing Mooney's name mentioned a lot really goes back to the quarterback. You know, Nick Foles, although has, you know, put up some statistics all too often, he is missing wide open receivers and it doesn't have that dynamic playmaking ability that, is a difference maker. And don't get me wrong. Mitch Trubisky is going to make mistakes. He's going to throw interceptions from time to time, but Mitch Trubisky has an athleticism that Foles just does not. And I think that Foles getting this starting job was just a justification of them acquiring him in the off season. 
I think they had hoped that Trubisky was going to come out and play like crap to start the year, and that just didn't happen. So they took the first opportunity they could to get Foles in there, and now are seemingly rolling with it. Yeah, I agree with everybody. I don't really understand the Nick Foles thing, especially Trubisky playing as well as he did uh, before getting benched. Um, but I also want to bring up the record might not say so, but Matt Nagy has been not the best coach for the Chicago Bears. Um, I know he did make the playoffs the one year, but he seems too much to be the coach that tries to make his players run his system instead of making the system best fit for his players. Do you guys think there's any chance that Matt Nagy is not with the Bears after this season? Yeah, I think the only way that Matt Nagy isn't the head coach next season uh, is if they absolutely implode. I mean, as a Titans fan, I did see it with Mike Malarkey. He led the Titans to a 9-7 and record after years of utter disappointment. It was the first time the Titans made the playoffs in years, and he still got fired after that season. Um, but that's not something you see all that often. I think the Bears are still competitors this year. I think they actually will make the playoffs. Um, they won't win the division, but they might squeak into a wild card again, mainly because of that defense being so good. And I don't see a team winning that many games and still firing their head coach. However, I don't think he will be sitting comfortably um, next year and in future years if he does stay there. Alrighty. And, you know, speaking of coaches that get fired at nine and seven, uh, the Lions did it with Matt Patricia. And I would think he is also a a guy to look on the hot seat of, but George, why don't you break down the Lions a little bit for us? I know you already mentioned Matt Patricia, and I think that this, is, the rest of the season to them, it's got to be evaluating if he is their head coach moving forward. Um, I, I find it head scratching that they went out last week and traded for a pass rusher. But uh, I, what what has this franchise done besides head scratching moves and waste the careers of Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, and Matt Stafford? Um. <laughs> They're really a tough team for me to talk about. I just don't know what direction they're going in. I feel like they're going to try to compete because one, Patricia is going to try to save his um, job. Two, Matt Stafford's going to keep you in some games, especially because they have some other weapons. But I think after the Galladay injury, he's going to be out multiple weeks. They really should just pack it in and try to get a good draft pick. But at this point, they're probably just going to be that mediocre team that needs to go through a rebuild, but they're not going to because they're going to be like, oh, we weren't all that bad. Um, the only other thing I really want to say is please start featuring DeAndre Swift. Adrian Peterson is pretty much done. Unless your team is going to the playoffs and he was showing you more then maybe I'd say play him, but no, get the youth movement in there. Please play DeAndre Swift for us fantasy owners. Uh, I, the Swift thing, you're absolutely right, George. Another player that I just don't understand. And I hear so many people on different, you know, fantasy outlets talk about this is why Hawkinson seems to be on an inevitable pitch count. It just seems like he gets to his sixth target in a week, and it's after that he's removed from the game plan. I was blown away because he actually got seven catches last week. I don't think that they're going to be able to do that moving forward now that Kenny Galladay is expected to go onto IR. You know, TJ Hawkinson is going to be that red zone threat. I think that Galladay usually was the red zone threat with how tall and big he is that he could just go above all the defenders. But now with him out, I feel like they're going to be forced to have to target Hawkinson in the red zone. All righty. Well, that's enough Lions talk for me. I can't handle any more. Uh, but let's go to my <laughs> other hated team, 
with the Minnesota Vikings. Marcus, go ahead with the Vikings. I was going to say, is it really any better than Detroit Lions talk? Nope, not at all. <laughs> you know, with the Vikings this year, I, I think the most interesting storyline is one that no one is really talking about, and that is how much the Minnesota Vikings are missing Danielle Hunter. The fact that they've lost him for the season, originally his injury, they thought he'd be back at some point. Uh, it, it turned out to have complications to it. He's done for the entire year. And, you know, I know they lost their entire secondary, but the biggest part of this is there's just absolutely no pass rush. So I think that has played such a pivotal part in the struggles for Minnesota this year. But in terms of, you know, what the expectations were for the Vikings this year, people thought this was a team that could contend not only for the division, but for, you know, a, a deep run into the playoffs and possibly even representing the NFC East there or the NFC uh, conference there, I say it. And, you know, I think what's just be being brought to light is the quarterback in Minnesota and Kirk Cousins just is not going to be able to get the job done. You know, can they turn the season around and make it respectable? Sure. If you have Dalvin cook run the ball, 75% of the time and, you know, include another 10% of that in your offense for passing, you know, downs. That is their, their golden child right now. And you saw it this past weekend. I'm sorry. I don't want to twist the knife, Cody, but you know, cook is who enabled them to beat green Bay. And, and unless they embrace that and make that their offense, this team is just going to be up and down. They're going to have weeks where all of a sudden they come out of nowhere and they're going to have weeks they fall flat on their face. And that is because of the quarterback play. And they are mired to that for a very long time because of the money and contract they've given Cousins. Yeah, that was a head scratcher this offseason of that contract extension for Kirk Cousins. But you're right, Dalvin Cook came back and from his injury looked healthy and ran up and down the field, all over the Packers, catching them out of the backfield, making players miss. Between Cook and Justin Jefferson, and you can throw in Adam Thielen, they have playmakers that are still young enough to compete, uh, but they might never get there with the quarterback that they have selected. My last thoughts on Minnesota is I will tell you this much. If I am ever in a position in my life where I need to hire an agent, I absolutely want whoever Cousins' agent is because that man – is a genius for the amount of money he has made that quarterback. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, speaking of quarterbacks, there's one team that is just on a quarterback carousel now, and it is not pretty. Their season has slipped away because of a huge quarterback injury, and that is the Dallas Cowboys. Cody, give me the state of the Cowboys right now. Uh, the state of the Cowboys isn't looking great for this season. Um, I don't believe McCarthy is on the hot seat. I don't think Jerry Jones is a one-and-done kind of guy, but I do think changes need to be made. I think McCarthy needs to be the play caller. Um, I think the quarterback is an interesting situation, and I'm going to ask you guys, right now, if the season end of the day, the Cowboys that have a top-five pick, they're probably going to keep losing, and they'll probably end up there. If you're the Dallas Cowboys, would you prioritize re-signing Dak or keep the young nucleus you have and go get another quarterback and let Dak sign somewhere else. Are we responding as Jerry Jones or are we responding as a logical 
um, football analyst. That was because, a nice little dig there. I like that. Well, and here's the thing. If it's Jerry Jones, I believe Jerry Jones will stand by Dak Prescott. And I think he will bring him back there. But if you want to look in all reality to it, the best thing that could happen to this franchise is they land a top five pick. They go get a new quarterback and they do some type of sign and trade for Dak Prescott because they have a lot of problems on this team. And it starts with the biggest issue, which is their offensive line. They need to start replacing these pieces and they are in cap hell. And Dak Prescott's not going to make that any better when they potentially have to re-sign him to a long-term deal. I don't know if there's even a chance that Jerry Jones wants to stick with Dak Prescott. I've just heard him talking on the radio about Dak doesn't have it. You know that Tony Romo would have even finished that drive off and won that game. And where did Tony Romo ever get them? (laughs) He's a much better analyst than he was a football player. But, um, so I don't know what to think about that, but I think the whole sign and trade of Dak might not be a bad idea because you could end up seeing him sign and then they trade him in their fifth overall pick or wherever they end up to move up and get Trevor Lawrence as much as I hate to see that as an Eagles fan. It's, it's a possibility. Yeah, I don't think anybody besides the Cowboys fans wants to see Trevor Lawrence in the the star helmet down there in Dallas. Uh, but George, you mentioned you're an Eagles fan. The Eagles look like they might be the front runner of this NFC lease division. What do you think they're going to do going forward? Well, this team could be considered in a rebuild. They have been talking about the youth movement for a long time, and this division is just so bad that someone's got to make the playoffs. And like you said, they seem to be the leader. And I know we've mentioned plenty of times before on the couch GMs how they just don't draft well. And for that reason alone, I'm not even really mad that they can even make the playoffs. Um, When we're talking youth movement, I think seeing this group of wide receivers that are here is super encouraging because the wide receiver position last year was so decimated that it was just almost embarrassing to see Carson Wentz have to go out there and throw to who he did. The only real guy who ended up breaking out was Greg Ward, and he's still with the team. You got Travis Fulgham, who's looking like I heard some people call him potential pro bowler this year. I mean, I think that might be a little too soon to say that, but the guy's balling out. He's got a chance to be the first thousand yard receiver under Doug Peterson. And that's even including all the years with Alshon Jeffrey. Um, And then Jalen Rager finally came back from injury and looked good. You still got Miles Sanders, who has been dealing with some injuries. Shocker. But the team's getting younger. You got young pieces on defense that are not all going to stick but some of them are, you know, looking pretty good. The team shouldn't be in contention for anything. They should be getting a high draft pick, but circumstances mean they're probably not. Carson Wentz needs to look better. I don't even think I have the time to go ranting on Carson Wentz right now, but I don't know. I'm encouraged by some of the things I'm seeing this year compared to last year. Yeah, it pains me to say this because I'm not an Eagles fan. But, you know, honestly, I'm going to be the voice of reason here. I don't think things are as bad in Philadelphia as the fan base and local media are making it out to be. They, unfortunately, are dealing with just horrendous injuries on the offensive line. And I think if that wasn't the case, you would be looking at the Eagles as the front runner for the division 
and a potential threat to any of the other teams in the NFC. And the reason I think this is, well, you're right, they, they haven't drafted well. But, you know, even Rager showed some flashes now back from injury. But you have this guy, Fulgram, that in all honesty, it, it, coming off of practice squads and other teams that have cut him and making the most of his opportunity. And like you said, George, balling out. Unfortunately, you know, they are in a position where most likely they could end up winning division and they're going to fall, you know, further down the, the draft board. But as players get healthy, I think the Eagles can very easily, if they don't do anything this year, or even if they're, they win the division and get bounced in the first round of the playoffs, that they're right back in the thick of things next year. Um, the one thing that I would say is, look, they have nothing to lose at this point. I know everybody wants to win the division, but get Lane Johnson out of there. Let him sit and heal. Him bouncing in and out week after week, I can't see how that is doing anything you know to benefit him well i agree and he did miss this past week's game they have a bye week this week if they let him sit one more week he should come back completely healthy and you're thinking like they do have a chance to make a run in the second half and be a threat to some of these top teams are going to be facing because you're getting probably lane johnson back you're getting miles sanders back couple of defensive pieces have already started to come back. Yeah, they're getting healthier finally. And some of these star receivers that might be coming off the injured reserve or just finally being active like Alshon Jeffrey are pretty much irrelevant at this point. All right, I think that's enough Eagles talk for me. Uh, let's move on to the Washington football team. And our guest, Mark D, is a football team fan, or at least he used to be a Redskins fan. Um, so, Mark, why don't you go ahead and take away the breakdown on the football team. I'm going to just start off by saying thank you for using the real name, even though I know it's not politically correct to do so anymore. But yes, I'm a fan of the football team. Um, God, that just sounds wrong. But uh, yeah, you know, here's the interesting thing about Washington. This season's just showing to be a perfect example yet of continued wasted resources. Uh, unfortunately, I know firsthand how Jets fans feel, how Detroit Lions fans feel, because I've watched that happen in Washington now over the past decade, where we continuously see key pieces leave and get nothing in return. Uh, whether we're talking about Trent Williams, Kirk Cousins, um, these were all assets that we could have gotten things back for. And now we have the next one, which is Dwayne Haskins. And I, it's a head scratcher to me because I don't understand how at the beginning of the year you name him the captain of your offense and now essentially you have regulated him to the, basically being inactive every week. Um, they say they haven't given up on him, but I, I look at it as almost the franchise's coaching scared. They came into this season saying it wasn't about winning. It was about building for the future. And then all of a sudden, as soon as things happened in the NFC East, it was like that plan went completely out the window. And we're going to do everything we can to try and scrounge up as many wins as we can to maybe make a run and win a division that's not going to go anywhere. So, you know, what do you have in Washington? You have potentially a top five elite wide receiver moving forward. And that it might be the best thing for our offense. And that's Terry McLaurin. Um, he's still not getting enough respect. I don't think in the league, 
but yet every week he goes out there, he puts up numbers. It doesn't matter what corner he's up against. He is finding a way to produce week in and week out. And he's at the point now where he is virtually, in my opinion, matchup proof. And you have on top of that, uh, an up and coming project in Antonio Gibson. Yeah. He's shown some flashes, but I still need to be able to see him do it over the course of a whole season. But the resource and the strength of the Washington really is their defense. They have four number one draft picks on their defensive line uh, that start. Um, and then you have a fifth number one draft pick that comes in in Ryan Kerrigan as just a pass rushing specialist. And that's what's given fits to some teams. And I know this is crazy, but I believe this team could be a contender and just as easily, you could flip a coin and say they're pretenders. And that's what's really frustrating about this team. They have seven winnable games the rest of the season. They don't have a very strong schedule. And the defense is good enough, in all honesty, I think, to hang with anybody in the league. But in the same sense, too, I think that they can make enough mistakes and they can be frustrating enough that they might not win another game the rest of the year. I mean, they're just as much in this, not only because of their schedule, but also because of their division. I mean there's a good chance that whoever wins this division will have a below 500 record. I completely see it happening. Um, so really there isn't a team in this division that's technically out of it yet. Yeah, you're right, Tyler. And I just want to point out, you mentioned how good their defense is. And I, I believe I saw a stat this week that even despite the industry or despite the injury, Chase Young is still like leading pressures of all defensive rookies and he hasn't played for a few weeks uh and you mentioned their schedule coming up from a fantasy perspective i know i got a bunch of shares of the washington football team's defense uh for streaming this week and they're definitely a team that you can hang on for the next four weeks because their matchups are so so quote-unquote easy i know they're not the greatest team but from a defensive perspective they should be able to hold their own and score you some fantasy points from a defense and that's one thing I want to point out too in terms of Chase Young everybody gets so bent out of shape because he hasn't had any sacks since the first game against Philadelphia and I know that's the sexy stat for a defensive end but he has been an absolute beast and force in the running game and that's a big reason why teams are not able to run against Washington yeah, I, like I, I said, I picked up a bunch of them for fantasy. I think Washington has a very good defense. Um, I think they should have, you know, maybe played a little bit more safe this year and really take one more year to rebuild before moving forward. But I think that's enough of the football team. Hopefully next year they're come back stronger and with a new name. But the last team we got in this terrible division is the New York Giants. Tyler, tell us what the Giants are doing. You know, the Giants are a very interesting team this year. Um, I actually told George before the season started that the Giants were my sneaky team to actually win the division. I really thought they were going to do it. Um, obviously, that was back when they had Saquon Barkley. And the funny thing is, even though they only have one win at this point, they're still not out of the division. They still have a chance out of it. But the thing that I'm worried about is Daniel Jones. He's only in the second year since he's been drafted, but I saw some serious issues against Tampa Bay um, that should be coachable, that the commentators even said the coaches have heavily focused on, and that is what to do with the ball under pressure. 
And if they have really been trying to work with him on fixing that issue and he is still that bad with what to do, he threw some bad interceptions in some situations where he should have just thrown it out of bounds, then that worries me. If a guy's not coachable, he's not going to improve. And if Daniel Jones doesn't improve, he could be a big bust for the Giants. Uh, Now I understand I might be just overreacting here from one game, um, but Daniel Jones does worry me. I don't think the Giants, even if they lost every other game, would pull a Josh Rosen and just give up on their quarterback and draft another. Um, However, I do think they should – you know, maybe look at a backup option for Daniel Jones that could come in and start if he really isn't the guy next year. Um, Moving away from Daniel Jones, one of the biggest frustrations in fantasy is always the tight end. And I want to talk about Evan Engram for a second. We talked on the other podcast about Hunter Henry and how he just seems like a fantasy bust. You draft him high in fantasy drafts, at the tight end position, and he doesn't seem to produce, and I believe Evan Engram is on that same plane. Evan Engram is one of the top-drafted tight ends in fantasy drafts almost every year, and he just is not producing on that level. Um, I want to get your opinion. Do you guys think you would give up on Evan Engram um, fantasy-wise, or do you still trust him moving forward? Well, Evan Ingram was the sole reason why I lost this week, so I'm going to have to say I would hang on to him yet. (laughs) Yeah, for me, I think if you're playing redraft, I'd let him go. If you have him in a dynasty or maybe even a keeper league, depending what the rest of your team looks like, I would hang on to Evan Ingram. I still think the talent and potential is there, Um, and hopefully Danny Dimes, or as we like to call him, Danny Nichols, or Danny Pennies comes around eventually and the tight end is normally the quarterback's best friend so I do think Ingram still does have some value going forward in his career you know one last note on the uh, Giants I just want to put it out there if you guys remember the infamous boat picture that was taken oh quite a few years ago now with OBJ and some of the other players uh the Giants are 13 and 43 since that picture was taken. Oh. So maybe that's the uh, new Meadowlands or now MetLife Stadium curse. It could be. They should have prepared for Green Bay a little bit better and not even went down to Miami. So uh always like to throw in some Green Bay facts when I can. <laughs> but I think, I think that's enough of the NFC East. We talked about them a lot longer than I thought we would because they're all pretty bad teams. So let's move on to a division that all four teams are pretty good in the NFC South. And we'll start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the new team, new quarterback. Marcus, what are your thoughts on the Buccaneers? All right. So speaking on behalf of the Buccaneers, everybody just needs to calm down because what happened on Monday Night Football was just a little bit of an anomaly. You know, they had to travel up here to New York. That field is horrendous. Nobody wants to play on it. And when it all is said and done, a win is a win, and that's what they left with. Look, I think Tampa Bay fully believes right now that they are going to be the first home team in modern Super Bowl era. They have a loaded offense that is going to get better this weekend as Antonio Brown has been activated and apparently they are going to have a role for him when they play the Saints this week. The defense is one of the best in football, and I still don't think you have seen them 
unveil potentially their best weapon, and that is going to be Leonard Fournette. We talked about this when we did the AFC show about when the games get cold, when you get into the later months of the year, that the strong running games, the pounding running games, and that's what Leonard Fournette is absolutely capable of. You're starting to see him get phased into the offense more and more week after week. And in all honesty, I see maybe three more losses for Tampa Bay. And that's an if. And that's against Kansas City, New Orleans, and possibly maybe the Rams. So at worst, this team finishes 11-5. and Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think the Buccaneers, I mean, I was definitely not on the hype train going in the season. I didn't, I thought with the, the short train or the short training camp due to COVID, they wouldn't be able to click as fast as they have, but they have proven me wrong. I think 11 and five is a good number. I think they're going to be very competitive for that top pick or not the top pick, the top spot in the playoffs and potentially have the home field game in the Super Bowl. But that's enough about the Buccaneers. Let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons, probably the worst team in the division but their offense is loaded with talent i talked about it on the part one so make sure you went and check that out uh, about a potential eric b new head coach this offseason uh, but really they're just rebuilding they got to rebuild the defense a little bit um, they got to stay healthy on the defense as well i don't actually think ryan and julio will be moved i know they've been talked about as potential trade pieces completely blowing the whole thing up i just don't see it i think their contracts are too heavy at this point to move on from them and i think if you get a guy like eric Bieniemy in there he'll want to use those talented offensive pieces so i think the new head coach gm will be the most important thing for this falcons team going into the offseason Absolutely. I think the Falcons are one of the most underrated offenses in the league right now. Um, We all talk about how they're so good at losing games, but the reason they're so good at losing games, and we talk about that, is because they're always in games. They always take the lead early because they have such a dominant offense, and if they can fix those issues that are causing them to blow those fourth quarter games, uh, they can really be a dangerous team to face this year. What's the, uh, the terminology? You don't rebuild, you retool. And I think, honestly, that might be the problem in Atlanta. And I understand what you guys are saying, especially if a coach like Enemy does come to uh, the Falcons. But I think it's at a point in time where they need to start looking a little bit into the future. And depending where they end up in the draft, if you have the opportunity to take one of those top quarterbacks, you might need to move forward with that. And I do think there might be an opportunity for them to move on from Matt Ryan. And that's with the San Francisco 49ers. And we'll get to that when we get to the division, but there are opportunities there. And I think staying in this, we're, we're just retooling. We're a piece or two away is really why you've seen the Falcons struggle to be in the upper part of the division ever since the uh, the failed Super Bowl where they blew the lead to the Patriots. Well, I think the whole retooling versus rebuilding thing is going to come a lot down to whoever their head coach is next year. Like if we do think it's going to be someone offensive minded, like an Eric enemy, a lot of guys are of those offensive guys are drooling over the offense of Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Todd Gurley. So, you could see that offense staying together because, you know, those guys have gotten to a Super Bowl once, even without Calvin Ridley adding in more firepower. They could really make a run quickly if they can retool that defense and bring in a big offensive mind. 
I got one more fun, quick question. Sure. I know it's talked about a little bit. I've seen it some places, and I've seen it debated on Twitter. What are your guys' thoughts on Matt Ryan's career as a whole? Is he just an average quarterback? I've seen some people say he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. What are your guys' thoughts? I'm going to go with the Eagles route here, and I'm going to compare him a lot to a Donovan McNabb. He was always that borderline Hall of Fame talk guy. He was one of the better quarterbacks in his era, but he never really broke through and you know, got a Super Bowl or got an MVP or anything like that. He's definitely on the top tier of quarterbacks in his generation. He's better than some of the quarterbacks that even won a Super Bowl like a Joe Flacco. But he was he's not a Hall of Famer, I don't think. He's going to be thought of fondly, but he's never going to be the guy. Well, Matt Ryan has won an MVP, and I think Matt Ryan has certain seasons where he deserves to be considered for Hall of Fame. But the issue with him is he has those other seasons that are complete opposite. He is too much of an up-and-down quarterback. He can't seem to stay consistent, um, which I think is his biggest downfall, which is why I would say he might be talked about for Hall of Fame, especially with the stats he's put up, but I don't think he will make it either. I... You know, I think a good barometer for this, and I know I'm pretty strict in my qualifications for people to get in the Hall of Fame, but you brought up Donovan McNabb, and honestly, I don't think either of them are Hall of Fame quality. And the reason being is it's just that. It's the Hall of Fame. And these should be the small percentage of the best of the best, absolute elite, And yeah, Matt Ryan has put up some fantastic numbers, but he's also playing an era where scoring is just wide open. So you kind of have to look at the barometer that we're stacking these players against. And there's just been too many times that, yeah, he has had great games, but like Tyler said, he's also disappeared in seasons too. He's also disappeared when it really mattered most. I mean, I I hate to hang this on him but he had the opportunity to make a play to make a throw to win you know a Super Bowl and they blew a massive lead I know that's the defense but he also didn't do anything to help offset that so you know winners want the ball in their hands when it counts and they do what needs to be done to get the win and Matt Ryan just hasn't done that all the time Absolutely, guys. You know, we've talked a lot about the quarterback, Matt Ryan, another quarterback that is very interesting to talk about this year, mainly because, you know, he's rebuilding his career um, after a horrific injury early on. Uh, He ended up having to be a backup for the Saints, played very well when Drew Brees was injured last year, finally getting his chance to start again on a new team. George, give me a breakdown on the Carolina Panthers. I absolutely love the story of Teddy Bridgewater, as you mentioned. I always had hopes that he could be a starting quarterback back when he was in Minnesota to when he was making his comeback in New Orleans. It's hard to come back from a major injury like he had. And he actually got it might have actually helped him in his career being able to sit behind who probably is a future Hall of Famer and Drew Brees to you know, learn more about NFL offenses. And then he went on to lead his own team and the Panthers are exceeding everybody's expectations. Um, Two other things people I want to talk about would be Matt rule underrated head coach coming out of college that they signed to a contract. And he's been doing a great job there in Carolina and Robbie Anderson, 
a guy who has struggled throughout his career with consistency, with staying out of trouble. And he reunites with his college head coach, Matt Rule, and everything seems to be clicking. And he's finally living up to the expectations they thought that he could coming out of college. So I kind of feel like this team is a little bit ahead of their rebuild because of the success of Bridgewater and Robbie Anderson and Matt Rule. And they're doing all this without CMC, which is shocking to me. And they can only get better when he comes back. So I don't know if they're going to really make any noise in the playoffs, but they could be a wild card team this year. And I really like their future. I also just want to point out, I really like their defense. Um, you know, Ryan Burns, Malcolm Brown, and their defense is playing really well. I know statistically they're not the best against the run. They have a little bit of issues with the pass, but I think their defense is very young. And I agree, George. I think only as the season progresses, they're going to get better. And they could be a, a sleeper team to keep an eye on once the playoffs do get started. You know, I, I have to disagree with you, George, though. You put them in contention as a possible wild card team. You're talking about a three and five team. They wouldn't even be in first place in the NFC East. I think they kind of got some people enamored with them because they did have a little bit of a stretch there. But they've kind of come back down to earth here. And although what you did say, you know, Matt Rule and Robbie Anderson, they are really great feel-good stories. And I do think their future is bright. I, I think the team has seen a pretty significant drop-off. Now they face some stiffer competition without uh, Christian McCaffrey being there. And I'm one of the people that I don't see Christian McCaffrey really losing anything to Mike Davis once he proves he's healthy and can take that for full workload on. I think he's going to go right back to it. And maybe then they become a little bit more of a competitive team. But I mean, right now you're looking at a three and five team with six teams ahead of them for three wild card spots. So I don't think it's going to happen this year. Definitely some good points by both of you guys. Uh, the Panthers are definitely, at least to me, one of the more interesting teams to watch moving forward. Um, but George, one thing you did say is that Teddy Bridgewater got to sit behind a potential Hall of Famer in Drew Brees, and I think he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think Drew Brees is one of the more underrated quarterbacks, which seems crazy to me to say with the amount of stats that he's put up in his career, and that'll lead me right into the Saints. Now, this year, however, I think that Drew Brees has fallen off a little bit. I think he's taken a bit of a step back. He's not quite as accurate as we've seen him in the past. Um, Drew Brees has been one of those guys that you can always rely on to be in the top five for completion percentage because he is so deadly accurate. This year, we just haven't seen that from him. However, they're still finding ways to win, and they're doing it without Michael Thomas. Now, Michael Thomas gets back. We might see an uptick from Drew Brees again. Alvin Kamara is going to keep you know, staying on fire. They keep using Latavius Murray. He seems to be doing well. The only thing that frustrates me about the Saints is Taysom Hill. I cannot stand this guy. Uh, you know, they call him the Swiss Army Knife, and he is just so frustrating. I don't understand how you have a quarterback like Drew Brees, and you want to pull him out of a play to put in Taysom Hill at quarterback. I don't get it. I absolutely don't. Especially when you're making Drew Brees sprint to the sideline, take him out of a rhythm to watch a play, then sprint on back out. That's not good for him. He's struggling this year more than he has in recent years 
and you're going to take him out of the play, take him out of a rhythm like that, I think it's a horrible decision. Um, we have seen Taysom Hill make some great plays. If you want to put him in at wide receiver for a player to go for it, but I wish they would stop the Taysom Hill package. It frustrates the hell out of me. Other teams are starting to copy it, and it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, Taysom Hill's huge fumble a few weeks ago cost him the game, and I think he's just going to cost them more games if they keep doing it. Well, I agree with the using him at quarterback thing, but you got to think like using that receiver, like you mentioned, or tight end or whatever is kind of nice. And it's nice having the extra weapon, especially when they have all these injuries going around. Like he caught a key touchdown pass to help him win this game last week in that role. I don't hate him. Use the athlete because he's on your roster. But I agree the quarterback switch out thing that's so college and even in college, it doesn't work. I, I hate it. And I also don't understand that they, you know, a lot of teams I've seen do this will bring in that Taysom Hill style quarterback and they will move their starting quarterback out to receiver and then have him just stand there for the play. That's even worse to me than just taking them out of the play altogether. Now you're giving yourself 10 men on offense instead of 11, which is just going to make your offense worse. It makes absolutely no sense to me, and I don't know why teams are copying it. Yeah, and just one more fun fact. Uh, as of this morning, it might have been updated, but pull out your phones, go to the NFL Fantasy site, go to quarterbacks, look at projected points for this week, and you'll see Taysom Hill is out-projecting Drew Brees, which is even crazy to think of. I'm projecting everybody. Wow. He's one of the highest projected quarterbacks at 22 points. <laughs> uh, Where are these projections coming from? Yeah, wow. And they get paid. <laughs> and we don't. Yeah. <laughs> However, we are so looking for a sponsor. So any sponsors out there, if you hear this, you love it, you want to sponsor us, that'd be great. Just let us know. Definitely feel free to reach out. But I think that's enough. NFC South. We got one more division. We got the NFC West. We talked about them a little bit earlier when we were talking about the Falcons and a potential move in Mount Ryan. We'll talk about the San Francisco 49ers. And guys, have they been devastated by injuries this whole entire season? I know George Kittle and Jimmy G are now on IR with potentials not to return. This team looks so good. They had high aspirations coming into the season. But now they're pretty much pretty much done. I think it would be in the best interest of the 49ers to essentially throw in the towel. They're too injured. I saw that they're like 40% of their salary cap is now on injured reserve. They're just not going to be able to compete, especially in this tough division. They still have potential at a top pick. And guys, I'm going to say it now. My gut tells me that they're going to end up with that top pick. And they're going to get their guy in Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance will replace Jimmy G next year. And I think the 49ers will have a very quick rebound. Interesting. Be competing in the NFC as early as next season. It's interesting that you pick Trey Lance and say that they'll be competing as early as next season when Trey Lance is being viewed as, although one of the top quarterback prospects, as a little bit of a project. What makes you think Trey Lance is the guy? I just think... Trey Lance will fit so well with Kyle Shanahan. Um, he has the arm, the athleticism, and I honestly don't think that they'll be in contention to get a uh, Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields. So I think they'll—I'm not going to say they'll be left with. I think they'll—they'll they'll like Trey Lance, but I think it'll be him in between. I uh, can't think of his name, but the guy from BYU. I think it'll be, come down to those two, and they'll go with Trey Lance. 
Well, and the thing that makes me think that they can take a maybe not super seasoned quarterback and turn him into a playoff appearance is because this is already a system that basically works with a game manager. They're not going to ask him to do a lot as a rookie. They're going to try to run the ball with their 700 running backs. They're going to have him dump the ball off to George Kittle and make a play when they need it. So they're not asking for a lot out of a quarterback. They can take a rookie and really season him, even if he's not NFL ready per se. Yeah, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they keep Jimmy G for six games to, you know, let Trey Lance develop a little bit. Maybe we see a similar situation, even if they are winning. You know, we saw that with the Dolphins, the Bears. You know, they just go to the other quarterback. Uh, I just don't think Jimmy G will finish the season or even be on the team next year. And I think if they continue to lose, they'll be in contestant or right there to get a quarterback of the future for this team. Definitely an interesting take there. Definitely interesting. Uh, You know, we're talking about replacing Jimmy G, but one quarterback that will not be replaced next year is Kyler Murray. He is playing amazing this year. He has his ups and downs, does throw some picks, but he is such an exciting quarterback to watch. He has the Cardinals at five and two. Uh, George, give me your breakdown on the Arizona Cardinals. I'm glad you mentioned Kyler Murray and his ups and downs because the first thing I wanted to talk about is he's only in his second year and he's definitely still having some growing pains, but there's nothing wrong with that. And I want to go back to one of my first takes I made on the couch GMs and I was talking about DeAndre Hopkins and I'm going to say it again. DeAndre Hopkins has completely changed the direction of Kyler Murray's early career. He's made him grow so much faster. He's given him that reliable target that you can go to every play. No disrespect to Larry Fitzgerald, but that's not him anymore. He's been he's through his prime. So I think the biggest thing for the second half of the season for them is going to be sorting out that backfield. Chase Edmonds might take over the job full time by the time Kenyon Drake gets back. But there's news coming out lately that Kenyon Drake's not going to miss as much time as it first seemed. So there's some questions on to are they going to keep trying to feed Drake and get him going like they were at the beginning of the season, even though Edmonds has been so much more dominant. Do you guys want to take a take on that before I keep going about the defense? I mean, as a Kenyon Drake owner, I hope Kenyon Drake turns it on, but uh, uh, we will have to see on that one. I think in terms of Kenyon Drake, if there's ever been a running back in the NFL that just squanders opportunities and sees them disappear, unfortunately it's Kenyon Drake. I had high hopes for him too coming into this season that he'd finally get an opportunity and he did. And he just wasn't able to capitalize on it. This might be his last chance. So I think the other thing that makes me think that the Cardinals have a chance to contend this year, even though this division is tough, would have to be their defense. I like so many pieces on their defense, Reddick, Hicks, Simmons, Patrick Peterson, but Buda Baker is an absolute difference maker. He could be defensive player of the year, and we're going to talk about some uh, midseason awards here later. So you might hear Buda Baker's name come back up again. But like literally, he makes a play every single game. And the only time I've seen a low light for him is getting caught by DK Metcalf on that absolutely insane play two weeks ago. So, George, quick question for you, since you are the one that is talking about the Cardinals. You know, the Cardinals to me seem like a team that is, you know, kind of overshadowed because of the division that they're in. There's so many good teams in that division. Even with the 49ers decimated with injury, they are still the team that's talked about more than the Cardinals. Do you think they would be talked about higher in another division? Or do you think there's a reason that they're not, you know, fully talked about as a top contender? 
I think the only other division they might not be talked about, at least in the NFC, would be the NFC South because of how deep they are. But, I mean, they definitely deserve more credit than the 49ers right now. It's just the 49ers, of course, the, you know, defending NFC champs. And they have all those big names and the injuries have just kind of derailed them. They would definitely be better if they weren't so injured. But that kind of opens the door for the Cardinals. The only thing that struggles, you know, to struggle to think about the Cardinals being a contender is because they're facing the Rams twice and the Seahawks twice. And that that's obviously a tough sell for anyone with a second year quarterback. Alrighty. Well, I think that's enough Cardinals talk. You know, you mentioned two of their contenders that they're fighting with. Uh, let's go with this. Ooh, I almost said St. Louis, but it's the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, Marcus, why don't you go ahead and break down the Rams for us? You know, when you're talking about the uh, L.A. Rams, on paper, they look like they're a pretty decent team. But the fact of the matter is the wins they've gotten have come against fairly weak opponents. And, you know, despite the fact that they have a lead, uh, leading defense in the league and really underrated wide receivers, I don't think, you know, Bobby Trees, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup get enough uh, credit for what they do. This is a team that just seems to underperform when they need to really come to the table. And with the schedule they have coming up, I really expect to see at least four more losses. And I don't know that 9-7 and seven gets them to the playoffs. They still have to play Arizona twice. They still have to play the Seahawks twice. And they still face Tom Brady's Buccaneers. Um. And it really just comes down to this team lives and dies with Goff. And I just don't think Goff is that good of a quarterback. In all honesty, I think he is an above-average backup. And I don't think enough is said for the fact that Sean McVay makes him look like he actually belongs as a starter. And my question to you guys is, could you even imagine this team if Sean McVay actually had an above average or dare I say it elite quarterback to lead the team. Wow. I mean, I wasn't expecting you to go all the way and saying that Jared Goff is a backup or even above average backup level. But I think we saw it last week. He cost him the game. I think we saw that he isn't the guy that they gave all that money to, you know, even their Super Bowl year, there was the rumors that, they ran the offense so fast because they needed them to get lined up so that the play clock wasn't at 15 seconds yet so McVay could make all the audibles from the sideline. And you're right. It would be crazy to see how well this offense would run with a quarterback that didn't need McVay to make the audibles or whatnot. But my, my counterpoint is maybe Goff is the perfect quarterback for – McVay because he has so much control you know it, we'll throw out a guy like Aaron Rodgers he gets hit a lot for you know wanting to change plays or thinking that he knows more than the coach there's been those kind of rumors if you listen to Colin Cowherd which you shouldn't but that's a different story but you know a quarterback <laughs> more uh, established or have seen more I wonder if there would be a butting heads or would McVay just be able to take this offense to a whole nother level well let me play devil's advocate here we talked about earlier, what if a team like the Dallas Cowboys, who did a sign and trade, sent somebody like a Dak Prescott to the Rams? That would be a freaking great trade. And I mean, I'm, I'm a Dak fan. 
I think Dak is a very talented quarterback and Dallas has messed around and probably ruined uh, their chances of keeping Dak long-term. But I think Dak is a quarterback that is more of a playmaker. Uh, he has the talent. Uh, that's going to sound super disrespect- disrespectful, and I don't mean it to come across this way, but he's not hes not your Peyton Manning, cerebral, Tom Brady, cerebral quarterback. He's more like he sees it. He's a gunslinger. He goes out there and balls out. And I think if Dak could end up in Los Angeles, wow, that – Marcus, that's a great question. That is such a great pick for someone to go there. I love it. Dak to Los Angeles. You heard it here first from Mark D. Let's make that happen. <laughs> I don't know if I got that pull in the NFL yet, but you know, I'll give it my best shot. It would definitely be interesting. That is for sure. Um, however, we do have one team left in the NFC, and that is the Seattle Seahawks. And guys, they are arguably the best team in the NFC. I mean, obviously we will have this discussion later, but the Seahawks are dominant. They are turning it on on defense. They were one of the worst defensive teams to start the year, but they are really coming around on that front. Russell Wilson is playing lights out. Um, They have two receivers that need to be discussed. That is DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Now these guys are kind of frustrating for fantasy because one week, a guy will put up 40 points and the other will put up two. And then the next week they completely flip. And I don't know, as fantasy owners, uh, how do you guys trust Lockett and DK moving forward? Would you try to move one of them uh, while their value is high because they're inconsistent or do you just ride it out because of their high floor? I own Lockett in my main league. So I think I'll, I'll go ahead and start this one off. I don't see a reason to want to move either of the two. I actually made a joke that I should uh, trade for DK to go with Lockett. And I also have a stack with Wilson and just be like, well, I'm getting a 40 point receiver every week. So it's fine. Don't actually do that. That's a bad idea. But I don't see this, you know, one person getting 30 points and the other getting two sticking with them the entire season. Defenses have to stop with the we're going to bracket this guy this game so the other one's left wide open it's going to end up getting more even it has to so don't freak out they're still going to be you know they're still going to be top 15 receivers but i think the consistency is going to at least get a little bit better okay i like to hear it and you know another interesting thing is these running backs uh, which proposes another question to me i mean chris carson has shown that he should be the bell cow earlier in the season uh, with how good he's been. Uh, however, with him being hurt, we've seen good carries from Travis Homer. We know that Carlos Hyde has the ability to be a solid backup, solid occasional down piece. But last week, with everybody injured, DJ Dallas stepped up. He looked great. Uh, do you guys think that DJ Dallas is going to eat into some of Carson's carries moving forward? Um, or do you think he's just not quite there yet? I, I just think injuries allowed him to have the performance had I do think if Carson is healthy he is the guy there you know Pete Carroll has shown his trust in Carson um DJ Dallas might be a good play this week if Carson isn't fully back but I think even as Carson gets back he'll take over that bell cow role and we'll see early season Chris Carson I feel like there's talks of Chris Carson getting replaced every single year and every single year he comes back and absolutely destroys people and wins people fantasy leagues. So yeah, I don't see any reason why Carson would pick now to get replaced. 
Well, I think one thing that you need to remember and think about is they have hopefully coming back next year, Penny, who they took an early round, you know, they, they he was considered a reach when they took him in the first round. And I believe that he's going to, you know, come back healthy and be able to serve as that handcuff to Carson. And when you put the two of them together, it really makes a perfect pairing in the backfield. Unfortunately, he wasn't going to be available this year. So Seattle had to come up with some sort of a plan B in order to protect Carson because the way Carson runs, he takes a beating and he gets the little nagging injuries and, you know, has to show for it. All right, guys. Well, now that we have talked about every NFC team individually, I'd like to wrap it up by getting your final thoughts and just hearing who you guys think will represent the NFC in the Super Bowl this season. And we will start with our special guest, Mark D. Who do you have this year? Well, I, you know, I know the easy pick here would be the front runner by most of our pundits and, you know, colleagues that do this, and that's Tampa Bay. I think they make it to the conference championship game, but I'm going to stick with my original NFC prediction, and that is the Seattle Seahawks. I have them going to Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl, and I believe that they, at this point, may just pull it out. I am going to make the Packers fan in this uh, podcast happy, and I'm going to go with the Green Bay Packers. I originally had them facing the Eagles. I was a little bit of homer in the uh, NFC Championship and the Eagles making it to the Super Bowl. So I'm just going to go off to my other pick because the Eagles are obviously not a good choice at this point. And the Packers have done nothing to make me think they can't make it that far. Sure, they had a down week. Every good team has a down week. You don't really see teams going 16 and 0. So I there's they also are missing Aaron Jones. They're going to have some problems at running back for a few weeks until he gets back healthy. But Aaron Rodgers balls out. Devontae Adams being back. They look like the same pair they've been for years and will be for years to come. I got to go with Green Bay. Well, I think I'm going to take the obvious choice here. How about them Cowboys? No, I'm just kidding. I'm going with the Seattle Seahawks as well. They are definitely the best team in the NFC right now, in my opinion, the most well-rounded team. Uh, I like the Packers. I like that the offense has shown flashes of being absolutely dominant, but I think that um, the Minnesota game really exposed some holes in that Packers team that are going to need to be fixed if they want to make a deep run. And the Saints as well, I believe that they are a strong team. They would be up there for my considerations, I think Drew Brees could have a a nice send-out of his career. I don't know how many years he has left in him, but I got to go with the Seahawks this year, guys. They are a dominant team, well-rounded team. I think they're going to be hard to stop, and I think Russell Wilson is just playing angry that he hasn't gotten any considerations in the past for being a top quarterback. Um, so I'm going to go with the Seahawks all the way to the end on this one. I just want to uh, mention before we move on from the Seahawks, could you imagine how good this team would be if there could be fans and the 12th man would be there too? I feel bad that the 12th man is missing out on this season. I absolutely agree. Hey, and you never know, maybe fans will be allowed come January, and if they hold on to their record in the number one seed, they'll get home field advantage with the 12th, uh, 12th man up there. And with all these uh, teams not, not being able to silent count or not doing the silent count, they're going to be rusty. That's going to be tough to win up there. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, it'll be tough to win up there. Uh, but I'm not going to pick the Seahawks, and I'm not going to pick the Packers. And the main reason I'm not going to pick those two teams, I think their offenses are incredible. 
but their defensive has defenses has holes. We saw with the Packers they can get run on. Uh, we saw the Buccaneers light them up. Um, that was a different game with some different circumstances, but we saw that they can be beat. And the Seahawks, for as good as they have been, every game feels like it comes down to Russell Wilson making a play at the end just because their defense isn't very good. Maybe Carlos Dunlap will come in and look like Carlos Dunlap from four years ago and they'll finally have a pass rush, but I don't believe it. I think these teams will uh, compete rest of season, but I don't think they'll make it. And I'm actually going to go with a team I didn't even think was going to make the playoffs at the beginning of the season and go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's mainly because of their defense. Their linebackers are so fast. I know Wayne Gallman just ran on them and didn't look like they were very good. But again, no one wants to play at MetLife right now. It was a Monday night game. They are probably overlooking it, almost looking forward to the Saints matchup this week. I think there's also the storyline about Tom Brady. I think the NFL, whether you think there's conspiracy theories or not, will push that storyline. Uh, we might have saw it last night with the the picked-up pass interference. Um, but we're not going to get into conspiracy theories. But I just think the Buccaneers, between NFL storylines and their defense, I think they have the best defense in the NBA, and they will be the first team to host the Super Bowl in their home stadium. Wow, interesting pick bold. there. That is definitely bold, but that wraps up our – coverage of the nfc so guys let's have a little bit of fun let's move on to our mid-season awards if the season ended today or just your prediction for the end of the season um who would win each award and we will start it off with the mvp of the league uh cody give us your pick for mvp so my pick for the mvp is one mr aaron Rodgers, but he's not going to win it aaron Rodgers playing the best football of his career this year but there's one quarterback that if you've watched any football game this year, you've heard the broadcaster say, can you believe Russell Wilson has never received an MVP vote? I talked about it with my NFC Super Bowl pick. And the NFL loves storylines. Russell Wilson is at least backing up this storyline, and I think Russell Wilson will take home the MVP trophy. Yeah, I, you know, I think to piggyback on there, Russell Wilson's my pick also. And I, I think just like the Heisman, just like any other major award, part of it is the way you market yourself. And I don't think Russell Wilson's tried to market himself. I think the analysts and the commentators, they've done it for him. And just like Cody said, he is playing at an entirely different level. He's on pace right now to shatter the touchdown record. And I'll be perfectly honest, and this can be a bold take. I know we normally do that on our respective shows. It would not surprise me. Like, I wouldn't even be blown away to see him throw for 60 touchdowns this year. I mean, I could see it too. I mean, definitely he's playing at a high level, and I got to agree with both of you guys. I said it on our podcast that uh, I think the awards are completely media-driven, and the media is all over Russell Wilson this year. I agree. I think he wins it. However, I have an inkling that one of us did not pick Russell Wilson. So, George, give me your MVP take. I think it's really hard for me to not pick Russell Wilson. For everything you guys said, it is totally true. And the, and the media really does drive the MVP vote, especially. But 
the other guy that the media really seems to love and the only guy whose stats I think are actually better than Russell Wilson's is Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to say he is going to win another MVP. And I mean, like I said, the stat, his stats are slightly better than Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's currently third in league in QBR. Patrick Mahomes leads and Patrick Mahomes has a slightly better touchdown interception ratio. It's about the only argument I can give, but I mean, the media loves him. So I think if anyone's going to win it other than Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes is the best shot right now. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. That, that's a great point. And you know, another player, the media loves, and this will be my defensive player of the year is TJ Watt, younger brother of media sensation, JJ Watt. Uh, there was a lot of back and forth that TJ Watt should have won it last year and his play has continued very well this year. The Steelers are a dominant defense. I think TJ Watt will be able to get the defensive player of the year victory this year. TJ is definitely the best of the Watt brothers. Not even uh, a question. That, that's a lot of disrespect for Derek. He is a great blocker. Yeah, well, <laughs> TJ's better. Make fullbacks great again. Fullbacks will never be great again, unless your name is Kyle Juszczyk. Love Kyle Juszczyk. All right, well, guys, I have to go with Buda Baker as my defensive player of the year. I think he is playing on an insane level this year. He is getting sacks. He is getting interceptions. He is getting all kinds of tackles on every single play. It doesn't matter what the play is. You can almost always see number 32 right there in the mix. He has completely changed the last two Cardinals games because he has made his presence felt. Um, Again, George talked about earlier that the only blemish on his record is getting chased down by DK Metcalf, but honestly, DK just is a freak, so you can't really hold that against Buda right there. I think Buda Baker is going to win Defensive Player of the Year, and if he doesn't, I think he's getting gypped. I agree with you, Tyler. I'm also going to go with Buda Baker for everything you said. I don't really have that much to add, but no, definitely Buda Baker. And you know, guys, for both of your guys' picks, um, Buda Baker, you know, George and Tyler and Cody, you guys taking THJ Watt. I could honestly see at the end of the season either of those players winning the award. But looking at right now, um, one player who not only has put up statistics to back it up, but watching the games is just an absolute difference maker for the entire defense in terms of how offenses are avoiding him is Devin White, the second-year linebacker out of Tampa Bay. And I honestly believe that the success Tampa Bay is seeing on defense is largely in part to what he is able to do. He can blitz. He can stop the run. He can cover. And you talk about shutdown corners, you talk about, you know, lines that you can't run against. Devin White is my vote for the Bobby Boucher of the actually NFL because teams are actually looking at where he is and it almost seems like they are planning to run away from him or plan the offensive play away from him. And when he does have the option to make a play, he's making a play. So for right now, Devin White, hands down, is my defensive player of the year. It's a great choice, Marcus. I think he's very underrated, and you do make a lot of great points with that. Completely agree. I think, you know, we've talked about them being media awards. He's in Tampa Bay, and he's overshadowed by Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, now Antonio Brown on who gets the headlines. But 
if you actually watch the games, he's been a true difference maker. Um, but, you know, we talked about defense and the league's going more offense. So our offensive player of the year predictions, hey, I'll start us off. Uh, can I take the first on this? Absolutely. So my offensive player of the year, I actually thought for a second, maybe putting him in the defensive player of the year because he definitely has the defensive play of the year. My choice is DK Metcalf. And look, I understand he doesn't lead the league in receptions. He doesn't lead the league in yards. He doesn't lead the league in touchdowns. But the reason why I think he's the offensive player of the year is he is on that different level. We talked about this already where he does whatever he wants to do. You literally can throw the ball to him. The plays that he has made on sidelines to catch the ball, be able to control that massive body of his to stay in bounds and then literally turn on the Jets like he's a track star and just blow away the defense. In terms of we talked about Russell Wilson winning the MVP, that's not even a realm of possibility if it's not for DK Metcalf. That's a great point. And, you know, my guy for offensive player of the year is Alvin Kamara. We talked about him in last show. He was our number one fantasy pick. Now fantasy doesn't really have any relevance to these awards, but he's catching, he's running, he's on pace for some incredible receiving numbers as a running back. They might dip a little bit once Michael Thomas comes back, but I think Alvin Kamara, we've talked about how Drew Brees has taken a step backwards in his career. I think Alvin Kamara has carried the New Orleans Saints. I think the Saints will make a playoff run on the back of Kamara, and they'll at least get him the offensive player of the year. I'm going to take a guy that I also talked about back in the last episode when we were talking about fantasy players. I'm going to take Dalvin Cook. I know he's not leading the league in rushing. When you consider that he's missed weeks and he's still within you know, range of Derrick Henry, it just shows how impressive of a year he is having. The Vikings would not have any wins at all if it wasn't for Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook is absolutely making his presence known every single time he touches the ball. He's a workhorse. If he can stay healthy the rest of the year, I think he could be not only the leader in rushing, if not for Derrick Henry, but he definitely deserves the Offensive Player of the Year award. All right, guys, for my pick, you know, I'm not even a homer on this one. I got to go with the king, crown him, Derrick Henry, Offensive Player of the Year. This guy is leading the league in rushing. He has one more game played than Dalvin Cook, but he has 125 more yards than him. And the reason you got to go with Derrick Henry, or at least the reason I have to, is, you know, I can make an argument for all of the guys you picked being out of the game and the team still winning. I mean, DK Metcalf, we saw him get nothing two weeks ago. Tyler Lockett dominated and the Seahawks were still able to win. Alvin Kamara, we've seen in the past that Drew Brees can put the game on his back, just throw it all to Michael Thomas. They can still win games. Dalvin Cook, I mean, they missed him two weeks ago, and they did lose to the Falcons, but we have seen Alexander Madison step in and produce just as well as Dalvin Cook at times. But the Titans without Derrick Henry aren't a team. I mean, Derrick Henry is getting ridiculous amounts of carries. They are putting the team on his back. Literally, and he is carrying it. He is leading in rushing. He has chances to shatter some rushing records this year. Um, like Marcus said earlier, he has a chance to have 2,000 yards this season. And I just don't think that any other offensive player in the league has the amount of pressure that Derrick Henry has on his back, but is producing at such a high level. I have to go with Henry on this one. 
to be fair, um, just have to correct you there, Tyler. The game that DK Metcalf disappeared was actually the game they lost to the Cardinals. But I, I can't argue your pick. You know, as I state the case earlier, like you said, Derrick Henry's got the chance to rush for 2,000 yards. I think all of us, you know, all of our choices could very easily be the selection here at the end of the season. All righty. Well, let's move on to defensive rookie of the year, going back to the defensive side of the ball. And I'm going to go with Baltimore Ravens first round pick Patrick Queen. You know, the Ravens defense was already good coming into this season. No one will deny that. But Patrick Queen has brought a different edge to the defense, a unique skills of speed, you know, and he's just making plays every week. Um, between him and the rest of that defense, they're going to be right there in playoff contention. And besides Patrick Queen, there's a few other guys, but there's not too many other guys to talk about in this category. And I think Patrick Queen will win it pretty easily. Yeah, uh, I have to echo that same sentiment from Cody. Um, my choice also is Patrick Queen. And I think the best thing that possibly happened to him was he got drafted by the Baltimore Ravens, which let's face it, there's universities in college that they talk about linebacker you and, you know, great linebackers come from great colleges. Well, great NFL linebackers play for Baltimore. Um, and I think Patrick queen is just running with this opportunity. And to be perfectly honest, there are some really strong candidates that are, you can talk about in the same, you know, same conversation as this. But I think as the season progresses, Queen's just going to run away with it. You know, my guy that I'm going to go with is Tampa Bay Buccaneers safety, Antoine Winfield Jr. Now, the reason I'm going with him is not just solely based off of stats. Um, I'm actually going to go with him based off of versatility. Now, Winfield has played all over the field. He has lined up at safety, at corner. He has lined up at a linebacker spot. He has lined up on the defensive line and blitzed. He has been all over the field, and he's made some big plays. We just saw it this past week with the game-winning play against the Giants. Um, granted, there was questions about whether it was pass interference or not, but he was the one that made the play on the two-point conversion to seal the game. I think he is playing at a high level and he is versatile. I'm going with Antoine Winfield Jr. You know, the funny thing about that, Tyler, is you're absolutely right. He is lined up everywhere and he's not a very big guy at all. He's super small in stature, but that doesn't turn him away from playing on the defensive line or at linebacker. Absolutely. I think for a lot of the same reasons that Tyler just said Winfield, I'm going to go with Panthers safety Jeremy Chin. He also lines up at linebacker. He covers people at corner, plays safety. He's made a lot of big plays this year. I think he kind of gets um, hidden back there because of all the nice feel-good stories we talked about with the Panthers. But he's putting up stats. He's versatile. I love Jeremy Chin. He's going to be a star in this league for years to come. And I think he's my choice for Defensive Rookie of the Year. These are all some great picks for Defensive Rookie of the Year. So let's go back to the offensive side for Offensive Rookie of the Year. I'm going to go with the easy pick in Joe Burrow. We talked about with MVP, the media's story about Russell Wilson. I think the media is going to push the narrative of Joe Burrow. He's not winning too often, but he does have a few big wins on his game. I heard Dan Orlowski 
you can take what you want from his breakdown. But he said if out of every quarterback in the league, if he was starting a team right now, it would be Patrick Mahomes one, Joe Burrow two. Maybe a little crazy, but that's just to show how much the media hype is on Joe Burrow. He looks the part. He has a bright future ahead of him, and I think the number one pick takes on the award. This might be a little bit of deja vu, but Cody, I'm going to ride your coattails again here. I agree with you, Joe Burrow. Um, what he is doing so far this year, he should not be doing because the offensive line is not good in Cincinnati, and yet he's still able to find windows and pull off decisions that aren't going to show up on a stat sheet. It, and it's a, a veteran presence that he has that just amazes me. He knows when to run out of bounds. He knows when to throw the ball away to avoid getting a sack. And although Cincinnati's record doesn't show it, he has kept this team almost in every single game. I, I was not the biggest Joe Burrow fan coming into this season, but he has pleasantly proven me wrong because he is the answer in Cincinnati. And I think the first thing that Cincinnati did right was get rid of Marvin Lewis. And the second thing they did right was they drafted Joe Burrow. The future is bright there for the Bengals. I know this is definitely a media driven award, almost as much as the MVP. And Cody, you talked about um, Dan Orlovsky talking up Joe Burrow and saying he'd be like the second choice for quarterback. If you want a more, um, reliable source that said the same thing peter schrager actually said the same thing on good morning football this week like he would take joe burrow over almost every quarterback in the league to start his franchise and i think he's a great choice but i'm going to go ahead and play devil's advocate and pick a quarterback who even though he's not getting many wins is playing not like a rookie and i'm going to take chargers quarterback justin herbert herbert's making that offense so versatile he's using everybody he should have more wins. I feel like there's some other issues outside of his realm that are making them lose some of these games, but they're leading in almost every single game. They're in every single game. And I don't know. He doesn't look like a rookie. Like I said, I think that's what makes me more impressed with him than Joe Burrow. You know, I think the Joe Burrow pick is a great pick, although I'm tired of seeing him after watching him destroy the Titans this past week. I also think the Justin Herbert pick is an amazing pick. I've been saying for weeks that I think he is just absolutely blowing my mind. He is phenomenal. He is playing way better than I ever expected. Um, but I'm going to try to avoid the quarterback uh, just to have a little more fun with it. And I'm going to go with Justin Jefferson, wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings. You know, I think that he's just getting started. He didn't really play in the first couple of weeks. And then once he did, he is putting up some crazy, crazy numbers, uh, the games where he gets hot. And I, like I said, I think he's just getting started. I think if Minnesota keeps rolling the way they are, with Dalvin Cook playing as at a high level as he is, what's going to happen is defenses are going to start playing for the run. They're going to start stacking the box to try to stop Dalvin Cook. You can't completely solo out Justin Jefferson because Adam Thielen is still a very good receiver, and I think Justin Jefferson is going to eat in man coverage. I think he's going to have a huge second half, and I'm going with Justin Jefferson as the offensive rookie of the year. You know, yeah, and you know, Justin Jefferson was one of my favorite receivers coming out. So I hope he wins it. I hate that he's a Vikings, but we'll move on uh, to a little bit different of award. Uh, the comeback player of the year. There's a lot of great candidates, um, but I'm going to go with 
We talked about it earlier. It was mentioned, but I'm going to go with Big Ben. Coming back from injury, now leading the Pittsburgh Steelers to an undefeated record at the time of this podcast. I think he might not have the, the stats or the numbers to back up being a big contributor, but as long as this team is rolling, I think Big Ben needs the people for this award, and I'm going to go with Big Ben. You know, I'm going to be the one to ride your coattails this time, Cody. I also agree with you. I'm also going Big Ben. You know, there's some other good candidates for comeback player of the year, but to have a guy miss an entire season and have the Steelers look as bad as they did last year and just have them look lost, and then he comes back and suddenly they are undefeated. I think it is night and day uh, seeing the Pittsburgh Steelers without Big Ben and seeing them with him. I think he has to win this award, in my opinion. I'm going to go ahead and go away from the quarterback position for a second here. And I heard a lot of talk when we were talking about fantasy drafts and where to take people in the beginning of the season. Why you saw two guys that were pretty low in the rankings, and those two would be David Johnson and Todd Gurley. They all There was some stat that came out that was once you see a running back in the top 10 and then he has a year to two years where he's not there, he never gets back. Well, David Johnson's done well, but one man who's gotten back to the top 10 is Todd Gurley, and he's going to be my pick for comeback player of the year. He's His knees are always in question. Whenever he comes out for a play, you got to think, oh no, is his knee bad again? Is he feeling it? But he's held together, and he's put together one of the best first halves of his career. He's sixth overall in fantasy right now. He's one of the leading rushers. He's moved into the top five as of this week. It, it's amazing when you actually use him on like what the Rams are doing last year because they were worried about his health, how good he can still be. So Todd Gurley, comeback player of the year. Well, and a lot of people didn't expect him to hold up throughout the season. George, one thing I keep hearing if you play fantasy is everyone keeps saying sell, sell when it comes to Todd Gurley because everyone's just waiting for those needs to give out. But you're absolutely right. So far, he's been, you know, not only a pleasant surprise, but this is a guy that's, you know, vaulting teams to the top of you know the leaderboard you know in fantasy this year with that said great picks guys big ben absolutely deserves it or even girly i made my selection at the start of the season before any games were even played um my selection is alex smith currently the backup quarterback of the uh, washington football team and this isn't a homer pick if you haven't gotten the op- opportunity to uh Watch ESPN's Project 11, which is basically the documentary of Alex Smith's injury and what he had to go through to come back. It's amazing that this man is walking, let alone playing NFL football. And don't get me wrong, when he came in against the LA Rams, I I had a pit in my stomach because I was just afraid that he was going to get injured again. He did not look right. But this guy never gave up. It is such an inspirational story that he was willing to get out on a field again and take the chance of an injury just to snap the football and be an NFL quarterback one more time. And it's not like the guy was completely horrible. He didn't have a great game, but that alone to me, I doubt that he actually wins the award, but that alone to me, he is absolutely the comeback player of the year. And if I ever had, you know, a team that I was coaching or whatnot, that film that ESPN did would be a given for inspiration about working hard and never giving up. 
uh, it really is such a unique story. I couldn't agree more, Marcus. Yeah, that is, he is such an inspiration to everybody. It's an amazing story that he was able to come back. We've seen players have injuries like his in the past and their career just ends. Uh, They can't seem to get back or they don't even want to come back. And uh, to see him hit the field again is absolutely inspirational. It's amazing. And most people don't realize the craziest thing about this is he actually is missing half of the calf muscle on the leg that he injured. Um, I don't think that I could run with both calves the way he does, let alone, you know, one half missing. So, Absolutely. So, guys, let's move on to our next category, and that is Coach of the Year. Uh, now, there is a lot of different reasons that you can choose a Coach of the Year. Um, and for me, I'm going to take Bruce Arians. And the reason I'm taking him is because the Bucks were an absolute joke last year. Now, I understand that he might be getting gifted this award. I mean, he was given Tom Brady. Now he has Antonio Brown. He got Leonard Fournette. He got Rob Gronkowski. He still had Godwin and Mike Evans. He's being gifted this award, but at the same time, we've talked about it before. These are media-driven awards, and the Bucks are one of the top teams in the media spotlight this year because of Tom Brady, and I believe because of that, as long as the Bucks keep winning games the way they are, uh, Bruce Arians is going to win it, in my opinion. Well, talking about teams that are jokes or have been jokes, and again, looking at this award today, I have to give my award to Kevin Stefanski. The Cleveland Browns currently sit 5-2, and two, and if the season ended today, would be the final wild card. Not enough can be said about what the Cleveland Browns have gone through in the past decade, their fan base, the carousel and ridiculous list of quarterbacks, not to mention quarterbacks, but coaches that have come in there to try and get things right. And Kevin Stefanski, for whatever reason, he seems to have the uh, winning formula. Hands down, my coach of the year as of right now. You know, and I will stay on the trend of jokes teams that nobody thought of with my coach of the year award and I'm going to give it to Brian Flores Miami we all thought coming into the season was going to have another down year top five pick and they might still get that top five pick thanks to the Houston Texans that's not the point of this Brian Flores if the Miami Dolphins all they have to do is make the playoffs and I think it's with seven teams I think it's possible in the AFC for what he did for turning this franchise around the boldness to go with Tua I think all line up for him to be able to win this coach of the year award. I think the overwhelming cry from all of this has been teams that were struggling or not good and coming back to being very good. And I'm going to stick right on that same exact trend. And I'm going to take Cliff Kingsbury of the, the, I almost said St. Louis Cardinals. Cody, what are you doing to me? Hey man, Louis Cardinals. That's (laughs) a real throwback right there. (laughs) I mean, I'm even thinking baseball at this point. I've heard St. Louis come out of your mouth so much. It's throwing me off. Arizona Cardinals. That one hasn't even changed. Um, That was awful. But Cliff Kingsbury of the Arizona Cardinals, he has really done a good job of crafting Kyler and building an offense around him that works for not only him, but the other weapons around there. Yeah, he might have been gifted DeAndre Hopkins for an Italian BMT from Subway, but not the point. Um, they're, They're clicking on all cylinders. They're probably ahead of where they should be in there you know rebuild or 
development of their new quarterback. So I think Cliff Kingsbury, especially if he makes the playoffs, deserves a look for coach of the year. Yeah, and I'm sure there's plenty of other quarterback or not quarterback coaches that we didn't that are going to be up for the running. Sean McDermott, Matt LaFleur, Sean Payton will be up there, Andy Reid. There's a lot of good candidates, but I like our picks. A little bit of the coaches that have come out of nowhere to say, except maybe a Bruce Arians because of the talent he was given and he is a bigger name. But let's move on to our final award. It's not a true NFL award, but it's our fantasy fraud award. And this is basically just a player that had high expectations coming into the season that have let you down, not because of injury, but just a guy that you thought you could count on who wasn't there. And I'm going to start it off with wide receiver DJ Moore from the Carolina Panthers. He came into the season as a third, maybe a fourth round pick. After a impressive stretch run at the end of last year, he thought he would continue. And he's been pretty much a disappointment outside of the Falcons game where he caught a 74-yard touchdown. But I, there's not much to say. You know, Robbie Anderson, I don't think anybody saw becoming the number one so quickly. But DJ Moore has just been a complete fraud for fantasy. If you still have him, I'm sorry. Probably no one is going to trade you for him. But if you can move him, do it. So I'm going to take a little bit of a different angle on this one. I'm going to go with somebody who's getting a lot of hype and doing a lot of things that I don't think is going to keep it up the rest of the season. And I'm going to go with Chase Claypool. I just think there's so many mouths to feed in that Pittsburgh offense. And once Deontay Johnson comes back and actually stays healthy, like he's actually stayed in full games for the last few weeks, you're going to start seeing Chase Claypool come back down to earth and maybe be become a third option in some weeks, which is not a good thing for fantasy. So they they've been targeting Deontay Johnson 10 plus times whenever he's actually been fully healthy in games. And that just means there's not a lot to go around to chase Claypool. When you still look at Juju Smith Schuster and handing the ball off to James Conner. I don't like that, that formula. He's somebody I think is a fraud in fantasy right now. Okay. So my approach to this is kind of two faced one for fantasy and also for reality. My selection is Ezekiel Elliott of the Dallas Cowboys. And I know if you look right now, he is top five, even with some horrible weeks in fantasy rankings. But if you watch the games, the most standout thing about Ezekiel Elliott this season has been the fact that he got a god-awful ugly tattoo on his gut that says, feed me, and it looks like somebody has fed him just a little bit too much. He does not have the same bursts that he's had in past years. He's struggling to find the hole, and it's very clear and obvious that when Tony Pollard's on the field and gets the opportunity, his burst is significantly better than Ezekiel Elliott's. Pair that with a horrible, depleted, injury-ridden offensive line for the Dallas Cowboys, and I just don't see the love for Zeke. At this point, if you have him, like you said, and you haven't been able to move him, I hate to tell you, but I feel you are going to be let down the rest of the way for fantasy purposes. Tyler, finish us off. So, guys, I'm going to go in a bit of a different direction here. You know, I thought about throwing guys like Kenyon Drake and Jimmy Graham in here, but instead I'm going to go with the 2020 rookie running backs as my fantasy fraud. 
because there was so much hype for these guys. They were being drafted ridiculously high, and all of them seem to have reasons that you can't trust them this season. You know, you have Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He was a first-round pick, and now at this point in the season, Le'Veon Bell's there, and Edwards-Alaire is losing touches. He's not trustable moving forward. Jonathan Taylor was a guy that I was expecting big things from, and you know, he has some big weeks, but at the same time, there's weeks where Naheem Hines starts taking it all, or Jordan Wilkins. You don't know who's going to be taking roles in that backfield. Uh, Cam Akers, where has he been? I expected a lot from him this year. He was a high draft pick as well. He's done nothing. Antonio Gibson is up and down. He's not fully trustable. J.K. Dobbins has not lived up to the potential that he was supposed to have. I can keep going. There is plenty others, Keyshawn Vaughn, DeAndre Swift, but Guys, I think the rookie running backs this season have really disappointed me, except James Robinson, who no one expected. What a great point, Tyler, a great way to kind of end that segment. And you're absolutely right. Um, I think this class of running backs was talked about so highly, and there was such high expectations put on them. And you're absolutely right. For the most part, they have just fallen flat and really left fantasy owners out there scrambling. I couldn't agree more. Well, I think that wraps up our NFC preview and season awards. Thank you all for listening. Hopefully you caught part one. If not, go back and watch it. And I want to thank it once again, Mark D from the First and Ten Club for joining us to let our listeners know one more time where they can find your stuff and hear from you on a weekly basis. Well, first off, guys, thanks for having me. This has been a blast. Um, you know, love your show and the Couch GMs. Uh, and for those of your listeners, you know, that are looking for a different take, uh, you can check out my weekly recaps on Tuesdays uh, where we take a look at all the games. And on Thursdays, I do my show where I do my player props, picks, projections, bold choices, kind of the same thing that the couch GMs do, just a little bit of a different take. And you can find me on YouTube, just search first and 10 club, or you can find our links on Twitter or there too. Uh, like I said, thanks again, guys. This has been a blast. Absolutely. It has been great having you here. And guys, all of our listeners out there, you can get involved and it can be like you're here too. We're all couch GMs. We all have a little bit of couch GM in us. I see you all out there on Twitter, tweeting at coaches, tweeting at teams saying, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Well, guess what? This is a show where you can let your inner couch GM out. So please get involved. Comment. Let us know who you would have taken for your awards. Let us know your takes on some of the teams that we have gone over today. Tell us we're wrong. Talk some trash. Do whatever you'd like to do, but get involved. It's a lot more fun for us and for you when you do. This has been the Couch GM's mid-season special. Thank you again to Mark D for joining us and for Tyler Snyder and Cody Rocab as well. I am George Kurth, and we will see you all for our normal pick show tomorrow. <laughs>